Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and today's devotional study is entitled, Lessons from the Book of Job, Part 2. Please visit our page, biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find all of our previous podcasts and such resources as the key principles of effective Bible study. You'll also find a list of the platforms from which our podcast can be accessed, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, coming soon, and much more. Before we get into this study, though, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your goodness, and your love. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the lessons that are here. And as we review some of those lessons, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding that we, are, that we will handle your word reverently and that the lessons that we derive will be in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is the second in our series of lessons from the book of Job. Job is a large book, 42 chapters, and there are lots and lots and lots of lessons. You don't want to try and cram all of those into one devotional. So here's some more lessons. We're going to start, we're going to be focused on uh, Job chapter 2. And here's what it says. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Okay, we're going to stop before the three friends. If we remember the beginning, Job 1, there's a meeting that occurs in heaven, the sons of God are there, those leaders, those representatives of the various worlds that the Lord has created are there. 
And Satan is there among them. God asks Satan, what you doing here? Where you been? And he says, oh, I've been up and down on the earth. And the issue of Job comes up. And Job is pointed out as someone who's protected. That's how Satan sees it. And he says, of course, he's serving you because he's getting stuff. And the Lord says, mm, okay, fine. Go take his stuff, but don't touch him. And Satan left to do that. And you notice here again in this, in this chapter, as soon as Satan has finished having the conversation with Job, he leaves. He does not wait for the meeting to be over. He's gone because he has his work to do. Now, Satan made an accusation against Job in chapter 1 that clearly was not borne out. And it is also interesting that God says to him, he holdeth fast his integrity, although you move me against him to destroy him without cause. Now, God is expressing something here that is significant. There's a question that we always have, or many people have, and many of us have also thought about it. The idea that God is all-powerful upsets a lot of people because they see that here's someone who could stop all the suffering in the earth today if he chose to, and he's clearly not choosing to. So they don't want to believe in a God like that. They mock a God like that. Their viewpoint is, if a God like that exists, who is all-powerful and not executing, not exercising that power to, to make things better for everyone, then, then he's malicious. Okay. Or, or the fact that no one is stopping these bad things from happening is proof that no one has the power to do so. Right. So those are the two positions that they take. And from a philosophical standpoint, from a strictly logical philosophical standpoint, their argument makes sense. Right. If you are the God of love and you love all, everyone and you want the best for everyone and you have sufficient power, you should stop things that are bad. If you are the God of love and you are not stopping things from happening that are bad, then you don't have sufficient power. And if you do have sufficient power and you're not stopping things that are bad, then you cannot be the God of love, right? So from a logical reasoning uh, standpoint, it, it's, it's plausible, but the great controversy is more complicated than that. And the reason why we're given the book of Job is to help us to see that, help us to understand that. God takes credit, or, or let's, let's say it differently. God bears responsibility, right? God bears responsibility for the things that happen. He's not the reason why bad things happen, but he acknowledges that because of his power and because things can't happen without his authority, he accepts responsibility for things that happen, even though he knows he's going to fix them, right? Sometimes we, we, we try to absolve God of all of the responsibility, um, but God says he bears responsibility because the truth is Satan can't do the stuff to Job unless God says, sure, go ahead and do it. And God acknowledges that. Look at what it says in verse 3 of chapter 2. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him 
to destroy him without cause. So God is acknowledging in the second half of that, that statement in, in verse 2, in verse 3, sorry, that Satan is the one trying to get God to act adversely against Job. Because Satan can't act adversely against Job by himself. Right? God can prevent him if God doesn't want it to happen. So God is willing to take responsibility for that. He won't take blame for the reason why evil things occur, right? Those are consequences of two parties, unfortunately. Evil things occur on this planet as a consequence of two parties. Satan, who's always trying to do the evil things and made his decision a long, long, long time ago to rebel against God, and Adam, who conceded to Satan by listening to him. Right? Because Satan has always been trying to do bad things, but he hasn't, he wouldn't be able to if Adam didn't concede, just as he hasn't been able to do it to any of the other worlds. Right? And, and how do we know? Because those other people show up for their own representation at the meeting of God. Their representation is not usurped. Two times when the meeting occurs, it is only earth that Satan speaks for. He doesn't speak for any place else. So right from those passages, we can see that he's limited to the earth. Now, the Lord, following his own practice, because remember, the instructions that God gives us, God is not bound by anything except his own character, but God lays down for us rules and guidelines that are in harmony with his character, and he therefore adheres to them. So God uses, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, Right, which is sometimes expressed or demonstrated as more than one testimony. He testifies of the spiritual perfection of Job in chapter one and in chapter two, in two different meetings. Okay. So now Satan challenges, now that God has said, see, you're, you're trying to make me destroy him, but you see, he's still holding fast to me. And Satan's like, fine, fine. Yes, I know what I said about the goods. But guess what? Everyone will protect his own skin. Maybe he doesn't care about his family. Everyone will protect his own skin. Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath, he'll give for his life. So he's willing to discard all of that stuff because you didn't touch his life. And the Lord says, go ahead. Go ahead. He's in your hand, but save his life. Don't kill him. So Satan went forth and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Now, we don't know how frequently these meetings take place. We don't know. Could be monthly, could be some other unit of time. We're not given a clear indication of how long. But between the first set of things that Job experienced and the second set of things that Job experienced is just one meeting. It's simply one meeting. And that is inferred because, right, it could be three meetings, but it seems quite odd to consider that there would be these other meetings and neither God nor Satan would have a discussion about Job in between there. Until finally, you know, six months later, the Lord says, oh, yes, about Job, I meant to ask you that before. So we can see here, there was one day, there was the meeting, and then there was this next meeting Whatever unit of time that is, the next meeting, Job 
now gets directly affected. Now, I always looked at this situation with his wife as an additional temptation because you notice of all of the people that are affected in his life, his wife is never impacted directly. I want to be careful. His wife is never impacted directly. Okay? She doesn't die. She doesn't get sick. But one day I heard a sermon and someone pointed out to me, I mean, it was a sermon that I was present, but in the sermon, the emphasis was on how Job's wife would have felt to have lost all the children at once. And for whatever reason, I had never, ever, ever considered that. Just hadn't. I looked at all of the calamity he was experiencing in totality and not realizing that that calamity the wife would have looked at in two ways. All of the wealth calamity was bad, but in a totally different way than the children. And so her being left alive and otherwise untouched, right, emotionally and even mentally, she's definitely impacted. But her being left alive, she is also a temptation to Job. And Job's answer to her is quite instructive. He says, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. He didn't say she was a fool. He didn't say you're a foolish woman. He says you're speaking like the foolish women speak. Because Job understood what I wasn't paying attention to, which was she's in a lot of grief. And not only that, if you think about society in that time frame, she doesn't have a real life outside of her husband, right? She doesn't have a real life. She got married. She's in this household. She's married to one of the richest men of that, of that time period. He's a righteous man, godly man. They have all the wealth and the luxury and the whatever. And, and maybe I shouldn't say it's luxury. She, there's all of this wealth because I don't want to give the impression that, that Job is living large and living in this kind of ostentatious way. But Job ha clearly has wealth. The Bible is, is very clear about the wealth Job has. And so she's, she's well to do without implying anything negative about that. And now, in short order, not only has she lost everything, that's associated with that wealth and then lost all of her children. But now her husband is plagued. So th that's a curse. I mean, that's what it looks like. It's a curse. Someone must have done something. That's what everyone is saying. And, and trust me, as we get into these, these lessons, we'll see that, in fact, Job's three friends are going to come out and say it. But that's what everyone is saying. And so here it is. She is... Um, she sees this situation and she's saying to him, what? In spite of all of this, you're still standing up for God? Why don't you just curse him and die? And the, the idea for her is closure. It's closure. If he curses God and dies, then she becomes a widow. Then her life, you know, then everything she loved and had is in the past. And she can be somewhere, do something, something can happen. But right now she's stuck. She's stuck in this place of perpetual pain. We don't always, we look at people's situation and we, and in their grief, 
and in their pain, what they say we sometimes interpret incorrectly. She's speaking from a place of pain, and that's why Job can say to her, you're speaking as a foolish woman, and does not say to her, thou art foolish. Right? What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. It's important to recognize that everything he said, both about God and his wife, were still according to the word of God. They were still in line with God. He was, he is here refuting the argument that Satan made, that accusation. He's only serving you because he gets stuff. And Job is saying, what? Am I only going to serve God if I get good stuff? If bad stuff comes, I'm not going to serve him anymore? Okay? We have to recognize that things will happen. Sometimes there's a bigger picture. When things happen to us or don't happen in the time frame that we want or happen to us in a way that's not at the level that we desired, we sometimes feel like I'm being abandoned. The Lord hasn't done this for me. Why is this happening? I've been praying. I've been trying to be good. And we, we ignore the fact that A, our goodness is terrible, generally speaking. And if it were up to our goodness to get anything good, we'd probably have less than we got anyway. B, the Lord is merciful and we don't understand all the things that are happening. We're still getting more than we can understand most times. And there's more going on than we're aware of. We have to be willing to trust God. If we believe that God is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent and all-loving, we have to trust him. We have to trust him. That's a lesson for us, that even when things don't go the right way, we have to trust him. And we need to hold fast our integrity, especially in these last days, as we see all of the things occurring. We have to be willing to trust God, even though it doesn't make human sense. Verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. That was their objective. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon his on their heads towards heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Let me tell you, this is the best part of the friends of Job. And this is probably why it was stuck in this chapter and not broken off into another chapter. This is the most compassion they express and demonstrate throughout this whole process. They couldn't recognize him. Their good friend, they saw far off and they couldn't recognize him. And when they got close and realized that that was him and they couldn't recognize him, they wept because they realized that what was happening was tremendous. And they sat on the ground for seven days and seven nights and no one said anything. 
because they saw that his grief was very great. It's too bad. It's too bad that they allowed their compassion to stay in this chapter and not leave and follow them in subsequent chapters. There are times where it's not appropriate to say anything. There are times where people are going through stuff and you just, you just need to be there. You just need to be there. You need to hold them if that's the appropriate thing to be done. You need to be there, be present for them. You just need to enter into that experience with them. But it is not always necessary to say something. There are very few times in life where someone will say, I was going through all that pain and I wanted you to say something, right? That's not what you hear people say. There are more times where people botch an attempted compassion by saying the wrong thing. And I'm not saying this to make people afraid to speak, but I'm saying silence has its place. And sometimes it should be tried. And sometimes you should wait until the other person speaks. Sometimes just being there is a blessing. We're definitely going to go through the book of Job. This will not be the last of the lessons from the book of Job. There are many things to learn here. God takes responsibility for allowing things to happen because he plans to fix it and he's going to make everything all right. So don't fall for the narrative that that God is disavowing himself of everything. It's not his fault why sin exists. It's not. Sin is a choice by the parties that sin. And God has always attempted to move people from that position, to, to have them choose a different path. But ultimately, the choice to choose a path that is in opposition to God or opposite of what God has asked or different from what God is saying is sin. And that lies with the persons that have committed that sin. But when bad things happen to good people, God knows, and you see him here acknowledging, that he has allowed it. And the book of Job will show us that he can fix it too. The other lesson we learn is that Satan doesn't give up. His first argument and accusation fell flat, but he came and pursued again. He pursued again. The third thing we need to realize is in grief, people may express things that we need to give them a little bit of slack for. In grief. We need to understand how people are reacting. Everyone doesn't react the same to issues that arise, even if they're experiencing the same issues at the same time as other people. And we need to understand that. And sometimes silence is the most effective form of comfort. And we need to recognize that that is true too. We need to hold fast to God, even when things don't seem right from a human perspective. And trust him because he is faithful. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Job, we thank you for the insight that you give us, pulling back the curtain into the great controversy and all that is going on back there. Please help us to appreciate all that you're doing for us. Please help us to appreciate these studies 
Please help us to see what you'd like us to see here and to uh, better grasp the intricacies of everything that led to the plan of salvation being put into effect. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Help us not to rebel against you in big and obvious ways or small and subtle ways. Help us to be in harmony with you, not to be on the side of the great rebel. And when time shall be no more, save us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please feel free to contact us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. Whether you have questions, comments, or concerns, we look forward to hearing from you. If you're finding this channel to be a blessing, please take the time to share our page with others. And always keep our ministry in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study His Word.